Where's your your partner in crime? I don't hear him. Oh no, he's not here. He's in Germany right now. Oh nice. And how are you feeling, man? I'm feeling okay. You know, um, <laughs> as it, as it gets closer, it's like uh, gets a little. I, I get a little more freaked out for sure. Because I know I'm. You know, you've been there. It's it's all st- still pretty delusional for me. You know, I'm. I, my life really hasn't changed all that much. Yeah, yeah, not yet. I mean, um, the real magic, positive and negative, starts once they're here. You know, because at that point is is the momentous shift. Um, it's different for your lady because she's already been kind of coexisting with the other person mm-hmm. for a minute, right? Um, there's some sentience there, but for you to engage it, it's like when you start participating in yeah and the baby stuff and the uh, am I too far, Frank? On the angle? no, you're good. You're good. Okay. Yeah. It's um, it's then that you start getting the awareness about the experience that you're like, oh man, this human being is like riding on my ability not to, to mess up. Yeah. Like, yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. I, I figure, I figure as soon as I hold a little bugger in my hands, you know, it'll all start kind of, kind of seeping in. And then, uh, the one thing I hear from, from, from parents that it's like, everybody tells their own story, but like, almost to a person they're like it really hit home when we took the baby out of the hospital and they were like oh shit now we have this life and we got to do it we got to do the thing now you know it's, hey, there's no right. there's, no one's gonna help us it's because at that point you're left to your own devices uh-huh. at the hospital you still have some coaching but i i i know this sounds awful but i always call it the best worst experience i've ever had <laughs> Because for all the highs that are very high, the lows are very low. Yeah. And um, what I tell people is, um, like, if you're not aware of a lot of your uh, personality weaknesses, dude, the kid puts a Broadway type spotlight on everything (laughs) you're not good at. So if you're impatient, be prepared to be even more impatient. You know, if you have an anger problem, be prepared to be angry. And it's, it's, it's just an amazing experience. Um, because like, it'll be interesting, Frank, you have a kind of an upbringing like me, where we experienced a lot of chaos as young people. And, and from a young person, we're very idealistic, and we're very judgmental, where we'll say, Oh, my God, dude, my parents were stupid or whatever vernacular you use and think but now when it's you dealing with live bullets you're like oh now i understand they were surviving (laughs) do you know what i'm saying they were surviving and and they were trying their best even if their best was a three it was the best they could do under the circumstances because remember they all reproduce how they were raised and coached. Mm. So if your father and your mother had good coaching and good parenting, awesome. You're great. But if they too had challenges and didn't develop the best way possible, and they were still kind of maturing and growing up, and then you came along and your siblings came along, it was like, you know, it's like Mortal Kombat, man. Yeah, dude, no <laughs> doubt. Um, it's funny you bring that up because I, I, I started a, uh, a leadership uh, training program last week and uh, it's a 52 week long program uh, oh nice 
Yeah, it's really sweet. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. And one of the things that they, one of the concepts that they introduced to us, uh, at, at first, I wanted to see if you were familiar with this. It's called the drama triangle. Oh no, I haven't heard that. Let me write it down the, though. The drama triangle. No. It was really interesting because it, it, it sort of applies to anything that you do in life. Uh, you know, this leadership program is for obviously for, for professional development, but you know, it's, it's, becomes pretty clear that you can't really advance professionally if you don't advance personally. Right. And that affects every part of your life. So the drama triangle, basically it says, and and there's no real judgment here. So it, it, it sounds a little judgy at first, but there really is no judgment. It, it, it says that, you know, in most cases you're either playing the victim role, the prosecutor role or the rescuer role. Right. Oh, nice. Yeah. So, so think about like, playing the victim role it's not saying like you're playing the victim like you're you know woe is me i'm you know the the world is you know the world's against me this that and the other it could be something really simple as like asking a question to your partner because <laughs> you want them to uh pick up on what your needs are right so instead of right. so instead of saying you know hey can you um like, hey, can you make sure to remind me to do X, Y, and Z? You'll 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 go around that and you'll say, "Hey, what are you doing later on today?" And then you'll you'll drill down until until you get to the until you get to the thing, right? And you're not necessarily being a victim, but in that in that moment, that's the that's the the mentality that you have the victim mentality. And then on the other end of it, you could be like the rescuer who at work when things are going all the way, you know, all the way South on, on a project or whatever. And you know, somebody's screwing it up instead of helping them, coaching them, guiding them to the right answer. You just say, screw it. I'm going to handle this. And you just take it on, yeah. even though you don't have time or resources to do it. And that, and then, you know, you, you're unaware that you're playing this rescue role. But when you, when you, when you talk about, you know, upbringing and, and the chaos that, that, that you and I, and many others have gone through as, as a child, you recognize that, that one of those three things is probably more prevalent in your life, depending on the situation. And that to me, and this kind of leads into, to, you know, your, why we wanted to bring you on today is how you begin to unknot those tangled webs of your behavior that you don't really recognize. So uh, I haven't really introduced you, but this is uh, Mitch Zadalegi. I always have trouble with your last name, man. Um, and uh, a really uh, uh, near and dear friend of mine for pretty much my whole life, uh, by profession, a vocational rehabilitist. Is that, is that yeah, like, uh, yeah, I work in conjunction with, uh, um, like attorneys and counselors throughout the state of California. And so I work with schools and I facilitate, um, education programs for those students, but because I have a life coaching background, I'm perpetually kind of coaching people out of their, like you just described, their victim hurt mentality mm -hmm. towards a trajectory where they're developing a life plan where they're able to change some things and get a different outcome. You know, it's interesting. The um, there, Dr. Bruce Lipson, he has amazing material and books. He has an amazing theory. And out of everything I've read, and you know, I'm like a voracious reader, his material has really touched my heart in the sense that he says that our primary, 
primary part of our personality is developed between the ages of zero and eight. He says, but the problem with that personality development segment is that our our brain at that point is in a, like a theta brainwave state. I don't know if you know brain states, but that's like a hypnosis brain state. So imagine we're just assimilating mom's behavior, dad's behavior, grandparents' behavior, siblings' behavior. And there's no filter there to say, hey, that's wrong. This is right. This is positive. That's negative. And so we are assimilating all this information, right? Like a computer, like mm -hmm. a brand new computer that needs an operating system. That's the best analogy I can give you. So you're assimilating all this zero through eight base operating system, which becomes your base operating system for the rest of your life. Mm. So the way you're describing that triangle is genius because imagine, I I don't recall in the hierarchy of your siblings, you're three? Yeah, three, three or okay. five. So you imagine, so you're three. So in the pecking order, you were the middle guy. So imagine as a little person and you're seeing everything that's happening, maybe your needs got met when you acted like a victim. So mm. that's where that victim mentality is learned because you learn that, okay, and the team of five plus my parents, the quickest way to get what I want is to be the victim or to be the rescuer. Hey, mom, dun, 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 I'm going to be your co-captain and I'm going to be the adult in the house. Boom. Mm -hmm. And then you add that personality element or like the judge, right? Like it, you're in the middle. So it's interesting because you could play all roles pretty uh, evenly because you have people beneath you and then you have people above you, but you've always been super smart. So you're almost kind of like on par with the ones above you because of your intelligence. So it's interesting how you're doing that in personal development, because I've come to a lot of my realizations through a lot of the study, education, um, my spiritual studies, and and what you're describing, like, is, you know, we all have these this base operating system that we program that we operate from, and we engage the world from that position. So this program is wonderful because, like, what you were describing about asking your lady for something. In Latin households, Frank, we're taught that there's a real strong hierarchy, right? It's like dad, mom, everyone else, then me is mm -hmm. the perception of it. So what you're describing like, hey, babe, do you think you can blah, 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 blah. It's almost like you're asking permission to feel your feelings. God, isn't that something? Reality, yeah. Isn't that something how I, you know, I, I had that thought earlier. I'm really glad you brought that up. How we almost have to ask permission to feel these things that, that are, that are almost common sense. You know, they're almost just like, you know, if you want something in any other circumstance, you're, you're, you're probably just going to ask for it, right? You go to a store yeah. and you say, Hey, uh, do you guys have any Coke zero? I haven't seen it on the shelf. You're not gonna be like, Hey, when was your last shipment of uh, soft drinks? And right. And you're going to whittle down from there. Right. You're just going to ask about it. But, but in these, in these relationships where it, it's, it, you know, very emotionally tied and you know, there's a lot, there's a lot to lose. Uh, then you revert back to these, these things that you said earlier that you unconsciously learned on, on this, on this original hard drive of yours. And that is something that, you know, and, and, one of the things that, that we were, you know, we were being taught was that, you know, it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like we, you, you don't want to look at it and be like, Oh, this is terrible. I need to stop doing it. They actually gave us these little bracelets here. It's just a white clear bracelet. Oh, nice. And they called it, I think they called it an awareness bracelet. 
And all, all they were saying was just bring awareness to it. Just right. know when you're doing it, right? If you find yourself in a position where you're like really anxious and you're having this conversation and you're like scared to bring up what you really want in any situation and you realize that, you know, just like snap this and just, be, okay, I'm there. I'm, I'm in the victim role. I'm in the rescuer role right now. And it's obviously causing me discomfort. Let's blast that with self-awareness to see where, <clears throat> you know, the, the origin of that is. And it's really interesting that you keep reverting back to this idea of an operating system, because one of the very first things that we were taught or, or, or told about this program and what it intends to do in our lives is to say, you know, it, when you reach about 18 to 22, this operating system, right? This, this, this original uh, uh, hard drive of yours tends to level out and you can find, right. And I'm in a room full of CEOs and v VPs and founders and presidents, right? Like very highly successful people. And they're telling them like, look, you stopped probably stopped developing in any real capacity right around your mid twenties. And <laughs> from that operating system, you found great success, right? Why would you change it? And they, they basically were like, Hey, we're here to let you know that that operating system can get updated. You have neuroplasticity. Yeah. There's no reason why you need to stay stagnant. And if you're finding things in your life that aren't working well, then there's ways for you to change them. And it's not, groundbreaking stuff. You know, it's all, it's all really kind of common sense, but that's not applied almost ever right in, in our lives. Yeah. It's, it's ironic because, um, you know, I always reflect on history. I'm a big history buff, but you have to remember we are all descendants of colonizers. So when, when the Spanish and the Portuguese, the Portuguese, conquered latin america and mexico they all brought these ideas and it was a patriarchal idea from the top down based on god right mm -hmm. but the united states was also founded like that by the quakers right and all the influx of all the europeans that came and it's interesting because we have this top-down way of thinking that things have to be a certain way and so you know, if you're if you're using this base operating system as a kid that you learned, like imagine it's interesting that you mentioned that you're in a room full of CEOs, because one thing I always stress to my students or my clients better said, you know, because of these people, they are coming to me because they got in an accident and they were hurt. You know, I got hit by a car about a year and a half ago and my world got turned upside down. But it's interesting because I always tell them, guys, you have to make sure that mind, body, and spirit, you are okay. Because if one of those three pillars is out, everything in your life is going to reflect it. And, and ironically, you're in a room full of people that are mindful enough to understand that there's holes in their game mm. and they have to fix those. Dude, I don't care that a CEO is making, I'll give you a perfect example the owner of the Phoenix Suns right now oh, yeah. is being challenged and almost being escorted out of the league, which there's only what, 34 teams. It's a highly coveted seat because they make money hand over fist every season. Right. right. And, and we'll get more into the emotions and how we tie into sports and all that. But so his operating system is old and, and the world is trying to tell him, Hey, you need to update it. You need to update it. But because that organization is run very old school 
and it's very hierarchical and it's primarily white and there's a real fine baseline of how they operate. And remember, they're all baby boomers. Mm. And what's one of the big baby boomers saying? My way or the highway. <laughs> so that thing is still functioning, but they're on their way out. Right. And that's why they're grasping on to, to the ends of their lives because they still are trying to operate an organization like that. But it, there's just no room for it because people want to have a say. People don't want to work in a toxic environment. People want to be valued. I believe it's it's inalienable in our rights. If you want to even say divinely given, we're all the same, man. We all have red blood for the most part. I haven't seen anything different. And so you deserve to be acknowledged. You deserve love. You deserve gratitude. You deserve trust. But before someone gives it to you, Frank, you have to manufacture it for yourself. Mm. And And that's you know, it's interesting that they're teaching you in that type of methodology where it's an excellent, you know, metaphor for life because you're always kind of in those roles. But now they're trying to teach you to be very conscientious about where you are because what we deserve is homeostasis, balance, starting at zero. You know, we don't deserve prejudices and preconceived notions of who we are. And what's funny is imagine we should be our most transparent with our loving relationships, right? Like you're talking about your girl. Imagine you're going to have a, you've already had an experience, Frank, that it's like, I don't care what modern science wants to call it. It's magic. That little person is going to have a spark of the divine. Have them explain that to me. Yeah, They can't. But how much closer do you need to be to her that you're still like, um, Hey, babe, what are you going to do today around 3.30? Instead of saying, hey, babe, you know what? I'm not feeling really good. I don't feel like stopping on the way home. Would you be kind enough to stop and get a meal for us to have for dinner? Dude, that's not World War III. That's just Frank is tired, had a long day, and you're acknowledging that you had a long day, and you're sharing it with her that you've had a long day. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And it's really interesting. Like, uh, when you, you know, you're talking about the, uh, owner of the sons there and, and, and it, it, it kind of clicked when you were talking about it. Right. Cause this guy, I don't know him, but, but just looking on the, the situation on the surface, right. Like you said, like he's gotten this point in his life, the owner of a professional sports franchise in America, right. Anybody would, would say that that's as successful as a person as you could get. Right. In, in terms of the chain. <laughs> financially yeah right financially yeah. successful professionally successful you've done what you've needed to do to rise to the top of the top and what you've done to get there has worked right up until now yeah and you you couldn't see it coming until it smacks you right in the face and you know maybe it's too late for this guy maybe it's not um, but it doesn't even have to be that serious, right? Like it could just be somebody who wakes up every day and just dreads work because they don't know how to organize their email inbox or they don't know how to organize a project. And that's not their fault, but it's those things that when, when a stressor comes and, uh, somebody was, somebody was talking about it, uh, uh, they were giving an example about how, you know, they were, they were just like verbalizing things to their wife about their day. And then he said he stopped and he was just like, what the hell does she need to know about any of this for? This is just me offloading, 
hopefully, you know, offloading this onto her. So she, you know, picks up on it and can help me with it. I'm not telling her I need help. I'm just in a stress, such a stressful situation that I'm just doing X, Y, and Z reverting back to what I know. And then the end result is probably something that I'm not going to really want because I'm not aware of what I'm doing in the moment and be as big as being an owner of the sons, or it could just be as small as, you know, starting your first job out of college and you don't know how to organize your, your, your work life so that it doesn't bring you immense amount of stresses and doesn't allow you to dig in the way that you've always dug in. I, I don't know. I, th I thought that was, it's so, it's so relatable. And yeah, you and know, what's um, fascinating. Sorry for, for me to interrupt Frank, but you know, you have to remember Frank in our culture, you will identify with this for a man to express his vulnerability, it's looked down upon. Because what do you hear in our culture? I'm the man. I'm the baddest. I can take on whoever, whatever, however it comes. Hold on. We are all human. Yes, we all have magnificent strengths. But our emotional body is a large part of our personality. And if we're feeling overwhelmed, if we are feeling like we need assistance, culturally men have been taught since they were very little keep it in keep it in suck it up suck yep. it up keep it in suck it up you have to be and then we break out all these archetypical examples of leaders from julius caesar alexander the great hannibal of carthage george washington and we make these people all stoic with no emotions yeah right which right. the reality is is that they weren't that but it's it's amazing because you know, then you flip the coin and you take a look at the feminine route and women are encouraged to form small groups since they're very young, speak about their feelings, be there for one another. It's somewhere along the line in their, in their teens, women convert to the mean girl philosophy. And so we can discuss that if you wish, but women are encouraged to be in groups and conversate and talk and be there for one another. But men aren't. We are encouraged to suck all that emotion in. And if you have emotions, put a football helmet on, put some boxing gloves, and then just go destroy someone. And that's that element of expression. And what you're describing, this man being vulnerable, you know, vulnerable gets a bad rap. To me, vulnerable is controlled strength. Because mm -hmm. you're, I, if, you know, I'll give you a great example. I, I spoke to a friend last night. And, and as you know, I used to work on the radio and broadcasting and I just called him out of the blue and I was like, Hey man, you got to help me get back into the game. I go, I've been out enough. My kids are old enough. They don't need their dad. I would love to get back into broadcasting. You know, my friend does things for the NFL and stuff. And, and, you know, he told me, he goes, Mitch, let me make a few calls. There might be some opportunities. He goes, I didn't know you really wanted to do it now. And I'm like, dude, I'll run through walls for that now. Not like I wouldn't when I was 20, but right, right. now it has a different intensity. It was great because, you know, I shared it with my wife and she was like, oh my God, that's so cool, baby, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, in the back of my mind, I can already hear fight on. And I remember seeing Traveler at the Coliseum <laughs> and it's like, dude, I did that. But it was awesome because it was like, hey, this is nobody's experience but my own. So I need to appreciate it, cherish it. But that's not something we're taught to do. In our culture, Frank gets his degree. Great. Gold star. 
off to the next one. Right. Now you got your masters, two gold stars. Great. Go on to the next one. And it's like, dude, those are extraordinary accomplishments. Less than 10% of people in the state of California, less than 8% in our nation have a master's degree. Those are extraordinary accomplishments. All that shit deserves a party. But you get a pat in the butt, go get more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it's like, yeah, it's very ironic to me. No, it is. It is. It is really ironic. Um, I, 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 I think the, the, the mindset, this, this, uh, this idea of a, of a archetypical or stereotypical male, right. Um, it, it is at the very least been under scrutiny as of late in our culture, right? What, what mm. is this doing to our culture? How has this manifested itself in, in ways that are detrimental? Um, and then on the other hand, it's like, how do you how do you make sure that you're not demonizing what it means to be a man as well, right? I feel like that's a mm-hmm. really fine line. Of, oh yeah. Of like, how do you make it so that there's not shame about what it is to be a man, right? And in in in, in you know doing the th- man does without feeling like you're some sort of animalistic creature, pa- a, patriarchal yeah. monster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. Like, like, for example, you know, even just the idea of a man, uh, providing for his family, right. I feel like that can, can be construed into, you know, why is, why is it not an equal partnership between your wife and the husband and this doing this, that, and the other, you know, Jacqueline and I have had conversations about, does she continue to go to work? You know, a a career is something that is really important to her. How unfair is it that she has to bear children, which takes Mm -hmm. her out of work, which knocks her off of her career course, this, that, and the other, I could, I would be lying to you if I didn't tell you that there was an immense pressure. And and, and I, I don't believe I put this on myself. I believe this is something that just comes with the territory of me providing for this child that's about to come into the world. I, I don't, Absolutely. I don't feel like I'm, I'm doing it because there's a societal uh, pressure for me to be a provider for my child. It's innate. It's inside of my body. It's it, like, it, 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 it courses through my veins. If I don't yeah. provide for this child, I'm a f- abject failure as a human being. Yeah. Well, you have to remember, you know, when we watch the discovery channel and everything from a horse to a lion, to a giraffe has a little, a young and the first instinct it is, is to protect it. Mm. And that, like you said, it's at a very DNA level. Um, and, and, it's, and, and it's amazing that you acknowledge it, Frank, because like we were raised by women. So truthfully, you and I were ahead of the curve and you're much younger than I. But I can't tell you, it sounds very arrogant for me to say, but I was raised by my grandmother and my mother and my sister for the most part. But because our society the feminine energy is trying to find its way. I almost feel like I speak a third language, mm-hmm. the woman language. But, you know, we were raised it with a hard hand in that house. Oh, yeah. Where it was like, you know, and it's funny because when I connect with women and my clients and stuff, they're like, man, you really understand. And in my mind, I'm laughing and I'm like, no, it was beat into me by my mother and my grandmother. Yep. But, you know, now it's like this resource of energy, of information, where it's almost like I feel like I do speak three languages because I can speak woman, which has a lot of empathy and compassion. And, you know, the truth is pe- women have been marginalized in our society, but even worse in Latin America. 
and even oh, worse yeah. in the Middle East and worse in other areas. And so, you know, what I always tell people, it's like our world needs balance of both feminine and masculine. But right now it's patriarchal. So it, it can't be like this because it seems like the system is breaking down and and we're going to need new leadership, new ideas to be able to change a lot of things. But it can't be the the feminine approach right now of going to war with everyone and canceling everything because we can't change who we are. We can't modify our DNA to be some combination of a man and a woman in that regard where we share both roles. We are pair bonded individuals. So, you know, what you're describing, Frank, I mean, I'll expand a little bit on your idea about, you know, your significant other going to have a baby. You know, one of the great myths in history, Frank, is that women innately know what to do with a child. No, <laughs> I mean, they have the equipment, but it is as foreign of an experience to them as it is to you. Mm. And if anything, I would be, um, I would wager, and, and I hope and pray I'm not canceled over this comment, but <laughs> it's, it's much more difficult for a woman, Frank, because remember, their bodies change. They yeah. go through a metamorphosis of type because they hold the baby, they deliver the baby. So those areas are modified. They're, um, if they breastfeed, their boobs are modified. And imagine all that modification is without their permission in a society that judges women on how they look, how hot mm. they look. You know, it's, it is such an unfair experience because imagine you're doing all of this as a labor of love. And then you come out of this nine month training camp and women go through extraordinary highs and lows. You know, there's always the potential of postpartum depression and, and it's an extraordinary accomplishment. And then they're judged because they don't look like the hot chicks on TikTok. Like I always, I used to tell my mother when she was still alive, I'm like, mom, can I tell you the truth? And she'd be like, what's up, babe? I'd be like, I'm surprised women haven't revolted and just started breaking out guillotines like the French Revolution and just started taking out older men, you know, because <laughs> it's these, it's these societal ideas are so crazy. And maybe I see it that way because I was raised by women and saw just the way it works out for them. And I'm, I'm a big supporter of women, but, you know, Frank, it's interesting. I recall when my wife had the kid, I, in my imagination thought like, oh my God, they have this symbiotic relationship. This dude was living in her for nine months. Mm -hmm. They must speak with telepathy and she knows everything and he knows everything of her and blah, blah, blah. And then I had a realization because one time I tried to pick my kid up and he was like, ah. And my wife was like, well, yeah, he's more accustomed to me than you. And I was like, cool, classic conditioning. So I was like, well, I'm going to handle everything for the next couple of weeks until he's really tight with me. And sure enough, I mean, I fumbled my way through it, fed him incorrectly, changed him incorrectly. You know, I blew it many times. But after putting myself out there, I have an amazing connection to both my sons. Because they know that their old man, you know, can, he's not going to burn the house down. He, mm, you know, knows yep. how to feed them and, 
you know, but it's, it's, um, it's an incredible experience because now you're moving towards that. And in reality, in reality, that's why I always, when I reach out to you, Frank, it is because of the love I feel for you. I see a lot of myself in you. And I think, oh my God, my boy's just walking into this minefield. <laughs> but it's like, but no one can tell you, Frank. There's no manual that says a man's guide for right. having a child, right? There, there is, it doesn't exist. It is a trial and error experience. And so it, it's amazing that you're doing this leadership uh, program because it's going to help you a lot being a dad. Yeah, I think the timing yeah. is incredible. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah I think the timing is awesome. Synchronistic. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, certainly. Um, and you know, I think a lot of times people ask me, you know, are you ready? And I'll, I'll be truthful. I'm like, no, I'm not. And um, I, you know, a couple times I'll say something like, yeah, you know, I think I'm just going to wing it. You know, kind of tongue in cheek. Um, but in reality, I, I think the the approach uh, that that I want to take with this is that you know, um, I this is foreign. I am not ready. All of this is going to, is, is going to come, you know, crashing down on me in one instant. And, um, I just want to learn, you know, I just want to observe yeah. and learn. That's all I want to do is just take it kind of day by day. I mean, I, you can prepare, you know, we get the, the nursery ready we get all the things ready, but I, I think because I am so unaware of what it is to take care of a child day in and day out that, it's just something that like anything, anything new that you start, you're going to have to learn and you're probably going to suck at it to begin. Like you said, you're going to mess up yeah. your diapers. You're going to mess up feeding and all the, so yeah. I'm, I'm, but your, your disposition is golden, Frank, because one of the, one of the greatest complaints I hear from a lot of women, because I coach a lot of women is not just that a man doesn't understand that's a given to me, men and women, and we're completely different, totally different. You know, just everything about us is different, but your disposition about being willing to jump into the pool, I think is, is a tremendous victory because a lot of men aren't willing. Mm. And, and that type of, that type of courage is very rare because most times men have a lot of courage for a lot of things. But when it comes to something so foreign as a child, it really touches the most primal elements of fear within our personality. And it's a lot of fear of failure. You know, am I going to do a terrible job? And, but a lot of men are willing to un, like, they're not willing to even explore the possibility. Yeah. And, um, and it's unfortunate because, um, some of the greatest learning I've done has been as a parent. And, you know, I try to tell my clients all the time, I go, steel sharpens steel. You don't learn with a beautiful Tiffany's blue box with a white bow mm. and a 10 carat ring. Cause if I were to give you that, you wouldn't appreciate it. But when it tears your heart out, man, that lesson is gold and <laughs> it's kept tight to your heart and your awareness. And, and I wish people understood that, you know, I, I, I love a Chinese proverb that says better a warrior in a gardener in a garden than a gardener in a war. So, Mm. you know, I, I love that when I heard that because it's like, yeah, you, you want to prepare. And so you go into the experience with that perspective of a student. 
but it's through all the trial and error that you're going to learn. And then you're going to be like Frank 2.0 in six months to a year. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So you work a lot with uh, your clients who, and it sounds like they've experienced some form of trauma in mm -hmm. their life in one way or another. Uh, what, what are some, what are some key methods that you use to help them work through these traumas, work through these, in, these, these situations in their life and, and, and hopefully get to the other side? Well, normally my clients are, you know, referred by attorneys and counselors and, you know, we can use you for an example. So like, let's say one day you're out at a site and you try to help someone move something and you hurt your back. And so you have to file a workers' comp case and there's some form of settlement and the state of California gives you a small amount of money to get trained for a new vocation. Mm. And so by the time the counselor, the attorney refers the client to me, what they're looking for is getting training in another vocation because I have been through those, through a couple of traumatic experiences I speak to people probably at their lowest point. They are on the phone. They are angry. They feel the world has done an injustice to them. And so a lot of the work I do is first and foremost, helping a person try to digest a lot of what they're dealing with. So a lot of what I do is I introduce a lot of empathy and compassion because as you are aware, when we go through something difficult, we're very hard on ourselves. Mm. You know, like I remember you went through a difficult experience when you were young and you and you were being very critical of yourself. And I remember telling you, dude, it's okay. You're going to be okay. Okay, it didn't work out ideally like you thought. It, that's life, right? But... Mm -hmm you've always had a tremendous disposition and optimism. And so it's like you were at a horrible point in your life, but you just moved forward. Now we've always been so proud of you because of that. And so my clients are, are like that. I talk to them, they're angry, they're upset. And so some of the critical tools that I use is of course, I introduce compassion and empathy to them. I try to remind them that you know, obviously what happened is very unfair, but because we can't control life, what's done is done. Mm. So I preach a big, I'm a big proponent of just acknowledging and accepting situations for how they are. You know, for example, I got hit by a car and I'm barely working my way back to be able to run and be able to train. So Krav Maga and Jiu Jitsu are completely off my radar at this point. Could I maybe get back into it probably four or five years from now? Maybe. But it was, it was very healing for me to just acknowledge, okay, I'm hurt. I can't do that right now. I have to find other ways to be productive. Something like a, like a surrender to your situation, right? Yeah. Just surrendering to it because people, um, and I don't mean people, I just mean us human beings, we're very hard with ourselves when we speak to ourselves. I should have known better. I should have never done that. What was I thinking? I'm so stupid. I'm like the worst human being on the planet. Like That's like what our inner monologue is telling us. 
And imagine if we have 15,000 thoughts a day on average, and only 1% of that is positive. Imagine you're telling yourself all these real negative mm. things over and over and over and over. And so, you know, one of the key steps for me is always like, like a radical acceptance or like a surrendering. Number two, I always try to convey compassion and empathy um, because I experienced it as well. So I know how monumentous of a trauma it is. You know, I try to remind students that it is a, a life transition, that where you are right now doesn't mean like it's going to be like this for the rest of your life. But we have to kind of accept where you are today. And how, how and hard is that in general for, for your clients to accept? Extraordinarily difficult. Yeah. Extraordinarily difficult. You know, I, um, you know, I borrow, I borrow a lesson that I, I learned from a Navy SEAL. He kept telling me, I just make my world smaller, man. I make mm -hmm. my world smaller. And, um, and it was interesting. And I was like, well, give me an example. And he goes, okay, man. Well, when we were out in buds, he goes, obviously I know it's going to be the worst two weeks of my life. He goes, but I couldn't think of it like that. I had to take each moment for what it was, whether I was carrying a log, whether I was carrying a boat, whether I was freezing in water, but I had to be present in the moment to be able to endure it. So I was living moment to moment to moment. So if you really think about that, what he was saying was he was living in the now. You know how we have that super cliche term living in yeah. the present moment, but it's different when a Navy SEAL is telling you he used it to make it through hell weeks, right? Because like, I can give you a challenge a little bit at a time, but I if I present you with a humongous challenge all at once, you're just going to be like, yeah, no, thank you. <laughs> but you're willing yeah. to endure it a little bit at a time. Well, I, I, I think a really good example of this in, in my life is, you know, I, 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 I'd like to run and if I'm out on a run, long run, short run, it doesn't matter. The number one way for me to completely ruin this run is for my mind, for, for me to allow my mind to go to all of the things that I am unhappy with at that moment, right? Because it, one leads to another, leads to another, it bogs me down. And then all of a sudden I feel my, my heart rate increase. My breathing is much more labored, even though I'm running, it's like, I feel like I'm being crushed under the weight and I have to like either stop and just refocus and be like, all right, that all of that does not matter because you need to finish this, you know, this next three miles. So that's not going to help you wash that out. Uh, yeah. and as much of, as much of a, of a, 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 a release as a run can be, it also invites those, those brain juices to flow and they just flow and flow and flow and flow. So if I catch myself in a stream of consciousness that is, that is negative and that compounds, then I have to refocus and just, okay, that none uh, of that matters, at least in this moment. And I think that's huge. You know, it's, you know, it's interesting because, um, and, and this is, this is a little bit of insight I share with my clients. When we experience a trauma or a challenge, it isn't just a life experience. It's a physiological experience. So like what you're describing is you start running because you want it to be good for you. And then you get into the stream of consciousness and it becomes a negative. What happens then is you're moving your body from regular into fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system dominance. So you're telling your body, oh my God, body, I'm so pissed. 
get ready to fight. Mm -hmm. So your heart rate increases, right? Everything contracts, your stomach becomes small, your body is ready to fight, man. It's like, dude, I don't know what's coming, Frank, but I got you, bro. I'm ready, <laughs> right? And, and, the, and the thing is, people don't understand. Sympathetic nervous system dominance is an illness that you're going to be hearing about in the future. Because imagine, Frank, if you grew up in trauma, you grew up in chaos, what did you learn at a very young age? You have to be ready to fight which is called your fight or flight, sympathetic nervous system dominance. But imagine what happens to your body when you live like that, Frank. When you finish your run, you're twice as tight mm. because your body was ready to fight, man. It was ready to pounce. I don't know what it was thinking, but it was ready to engage an enemy. Now imagine modern humans, because of our high stress, high pressure society, have been living in sympathetic nervous system dominance, Frank, for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 years, what does stress do to your digestive system? What does it do to your intestinal tract? What does it do to your lungs? What does it do to your heart? And imagine because you're so locked in in this fight that you were taught to be a fighter since you were little and you never turn it off. Mm. And you know what the insidious thing about sympathetic nervous system dominance, us that are getting older, what your body is telling, what your mind is telling your body, it's get ready for a conflict. Under those circumstances, Frank, your body is burning sugar instead of fat for fuel. Hmm. So imagine instead of it functioning healthy and I'm burning all my fat reserves and can stay thin, right? My body's burning sugar and my body, my mind tells my stomach, hey, consume a lot of coffee consume a lot of donuts, consume a lot of flour, pasta, mm. spaghetti. And, and your body's like, yeah, yeah, give me that. Give me that, Frank, give me that. And it's converting all that into sugar. And your body becomes a, a sugar burning machine instead of a fat burning machine. Oh, you already, cycle. a vicious cycle. It's poisonous, poisonous. And imagine you're locked into sympathetic nervous system dominance living 24 seven, because when you were a baby, chaos, mom's problems, dad's problems, grandparents' problems, money, they're surviving, they're learning how to be young adults, but they brought in a crew of five to help them out. <laughs> and it's like, but they haven't evolved, mm. right? And they handed it off a little bit at a time. And so now, you're like to the point where you're starting to identify innately, hey, that way of living is not, not really how I want to live. So now you see a big movement towards what you hear parasympathetic living. So meditation, breathing, self-awareness, mindfulness, eating a cleaner diet, intermittent fasting. I mean, it's like now we're trying to learn that the base operating system isn't the way to live and we have to like update it. And that's what you're doing in your class, mm -hmm. but it's a mind, body, spirit. So eventually the body, you got to help the body. So when you're under a lot of stress, have to find ways to take time out. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to go get some sun. I'm going to get some vitamin D. It's like we were incorrectly programmed even though our modern society is proliferating that way of living. 
Yeah. But but think about America and how many people are obese. Yeah. And and I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, if you ca- even if you do catch yourself in that situation, right? Like let's say I'm I'm at a it's the middle of the day today, right? For example, middle of the day on a, on a Tuesday. And I have so much going on that I I recognize all these things that are causing me stress that are causing uh uh, uh this this cycle to begin again. And I haven't given myself permission. Here we go again with permission. I haven't given myself permission to take a break from what I'm doing, right? And one of the themes that we that we were talking about last week during this meeting was that when we find ourselves in these situations, what do we do? Do we think about how we can make it better or do we just dig in deeper with what we know? And oftentimes it's the latter. And so instead of giving myself permission to go take a break, get outside for 15, 20 minutes, take a walk, clear my mind, I say, well, that's not going to probably do shit for me anyways. I'm just going to dig in deeper here and work and I'm going to push through this and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to finish it out. And then you probably, you know, you, you leave that and you go, like I said, you eat a donut or you, know, you go find something. Drink a couple of coffees. Yeah. And you rationalize it because you need to finish this or you've, you've done this. So I, I deserve a treat or whatever. And, and, but it makes sense that it's probably your body saying, Hey, you've run out of these reserves and with you're running off of, please replenish me with more of this garbage so that we can continue on doing the things that we aren't supposed to be doing. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's crazy, man. It is. It is. And, um, and it's ironic because when I'm speaking to clients, you know, after I share compassion and empathy, you know, I, I always start those conversations with, it's okay to be mad. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to be angry, but it's not okay to stay there. Because Mm -hmm. if, if those emotions go unchecked, like, for example, Frank, I believe I've been able to turn it around pretty much psychologically, mentally, obviously not physically, in about a year and a half. Mm. but my body obviously still has some setbacks. But some of these people I'm talking to, uh, Frank, have been locked in their rooms three to four years. They don't go outside. They don't participate. So it's, you know, I try to teach them how to make their world smaller because the great misconception um, of human beings in general is everyone thinks because they see the end result of another human being that they envy and they think, I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And the end result was built over time. And it was a bunch of little wins that became one big win. But because these people were hurt by one big event, they think the only way to fix their life is by one big win. So like they want to go out and win the lottery. Mm-hmm. And I try to tell them, I go, look, I go, what we're going to try to do is we're going to change. We're going to try to change. Number one, your perspective. Number two, some of your habits are what's wrong. So instead of locking yourself in the room and watching five seasons of whatever on Netflix, you know, take a time out, go for a five minute walk, get some air, you know, our bodies need sun. You know, and I always tell them, I want you to create many little wins in your life. So if a little win is going for a walk, if a little win is one cup of coffee instead of 10 cups of coffee, great. If you take flour out of your diet or soda out of your diet, 
I try to get them into a mindset of creating small wins. If you want to listen to like a professional development, you know, book on audio or YouTube video, as opposed to watching three soap operas on Netflix, mm. it's like I try to get them to build more wins than their operating system has them doing unconsciously. Because it's ironic. It's like a sports metaphor when people say, oh, that team doesn't know how to win yet. That's absolutely right. You know, it's ironic because many teams in the NFL can't close out games. And it to me, it makes complete sense because it's the highest pressure. It's the most on the line. And when you're most tired, you start making errors, physical errors, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, so in talking to my clients, I try to get them to create a lot of wins, man. I have them journal it. Hey, instead of waking up at 12 o'clock today, how about we wake up at eight o'clock? And um, I try to give them a lot of resources because, you know, in the end, I'm just talking to them. The one of the most, I guess, truest statements I've ever heard is, you can't help a person until they want to help themselves because some people are so mad, Frank, they're locked in an anger box, you know, and it's unfortunate because they're just recycling tons of negativity. And instead of being what I always tell clients, cause they always start reading off the laundry list of things that are wrong in their life. Mm -hmm. And I don't laugh to belittle them. I just, I chuckle because we can all make a negative list. But I always tell them, you know, you're always counting on what's wrong. Well, now tell me what's right in your life. Yeah. And what's right in their life always is more than what's wrong in their life. But they never look at the positive list. And they're always worried about what could go wrong instead of contemplating what could possibly go right. So to, to, to make that shift, at least in my head, I feel like there, there, there needs to be a, a certain amount or semblance of faith, right? How, how, how do you, how do you let go of all these things that you worry about so much, understand that it's not in your control and then try and focus on the positives. I mean, as we're talking about it, it seems pretty cut and dry, but when you're in, mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of that wretched experience and your brain is just completely flooded with all of these negative thoughts, where do you, where do you suggest that folks put their, put their faith, put their, uh, ability to, to understand that they're not in control and then focus on the things that they, that they can control. What, 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 how do you help people make that shift? Okay. So, you know, culturally, most people in our, in our country are, are spiritually oriented. I, I don't try to bring spirituality into it. Because to me, spirituality is very ambiguous and very dogmatic, right? People will always say, oh, God wanted me to do that. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah, dude, I'm sure God wanted you to throw a 60-yard bomb with two seconds left on the game <laughs> for you to win it. And it needs to be acknowledged with fingers up in the sky. I'm sure that's real critical to an omnipotent being. So I don't even entertain, <laughs> I, I don't entertain religion. But the greatest lesson I think I've learned is... Um, at the time when I got hit by the car, you know, I was having challenges in my family. And I remember thinking while I was meditating, it was just like a negative tape playing over and over and over and over. And I remember at one point I got 
to the understanding that it's like, unless I create some action for myself, it's going to continue this for the rest of my life. So again, once again, absolute surrender worked for me. I know it doesn't work for others, Mm -hmm. but then also because I'm a father and you'll learn this, Frank, you are going to create, you're going to try to create self-sufficient human beings. You don't want them to be codependent. You don't want them to be even codependent with you because you're not going to be around forever. Right. And you see that all the time when people lose their parent and they completely fold. And so one of the lessons I'm always telling my sons, I'm like, if something happens and I'm not around, what is what, what do I expect from you? And they both will tell me, you expect me to trust myself, love myself, forgive myself and be aware of myself. Hmm. And those are some of the things I tell myself, Frank, because the truth of the matter is anything can change in a second, Frank, but the sun is still going to come up the next day. Your rent or your mortgage is still going to be due at the end of the month. And life is going to keep going. It's not going to say, oh my God, Frank, I'm so sorry for you, dude, here, let me give you 10 million bucks and just alleviate (laughs) you of all your responsibilities. It's not going to do that. Yeah. It, 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 you know, if anything, the water is just going to get deeper and you're going to be more self-destructive, more self-loathing. And so at the biggest times of my challenges, I understood that the only person that's going to save me is me. There's no Captain America coming, no Spider-Man, no Thor. It's going to be me, me, myself, and I. And so I, I guess a better way to look at that would be I, I created a real strong element of self-love mm. because I thought, wow, my children are young men right now. They're going to grow up in their mid-20s, probably leave the house, get married, create their own lives. They're gone. I love my wife and we've been together for 20 some odd years, but hey, she could find someone else half my age and she could take off too. I don't know if that's a reality, but we've seen it in our society. It could happen, right? Things happen, right? It could happen. And and I don't think entertaining probabilities is negative. I think if you look at things as realistically as possible and say, I remove all these things from my sphere of influence right now, the only truth is that Mitch is responsible for Mitch. Mm. And what I'm going to get out of my life is what I'm going to, it's what I'm willing to put into it. And so despite my injuries and despite everything, I had, I started journaling Frank and it took me a while to just be able to walk and get around, but uh, I would always make minor wins for myself. Hey, I'm going to walk a little bit today. Hey, I'm going to read. Cause I was really concussed man for like six or seven months where oh, I, wow. where my short-term memory was really bad. I was forgetting like song lyrics, books mm. I read. It just, stuff you know i also remembered that hey i i have to be my greatest fan so it's like i became my own tony robbins for lack of a better word sure and and it would have been wonderful to say hey kids dad needs help or hey wife dad needs help but it's not their responsibility to make me feel better i am responsible for all the joy i feel in my life would you i have to manufacture that to me for myself 
would would you agree then that while we are responsible for our own lives and we are responsible for the way that we ultimately present ourselves to our family, our friends, our colleagues, and, and any aspect in our life, it, it is our responsibility to 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 take that and make that as 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 good as possible uh, for the people who count on us. On the other end, if you're dealing with all of these problems that come from the self, I'm of the belief that you cannot find those answers within yourself. I, oh. you get know what I'm saying? And, and I'm, I'm not here to advocate for, you know, putting your life down and, and taking Jesus Christ in, into your life as your, as your savior. <laughs> Running away but, to the Himalayas to meditate yeah, for. <laughs> or anything. Yeah, right. Exactly. Taking right. a, a year long sabbatical. But, but I think too often we conflate this idea of taking responsibility for ourselves, our actions, our behaviors, our thoughts and emotions and reactions and saying, I'm just going to do me. And then, and then we go and we'd like dig ourselves into the same pit, just a little bit deeper than, than we were before. It, it's, it's been a, a revelation of sorts where it's like, oh, I, those problems came from me. I am my own issue and I can't possibly be my own solution either. Although I'm responsible for it, I can't possibly be my own solution. What do you, what do you think about that? Well, you know, I would argue Frank, because imagine you came to the realization that you are your own problem just recently. So that already means that you're looking at your life moving forward completely different that you were looking at it before at these previous years. Mm -hmm. I understand what you're saying. I probably in the last, probably in the last five years, man, and it's ironic, everything I've read, like I'm, I'm, I'm pretty fanatical reader, man. I'm reading probably like six books right now. And lately I've been on a shamanic book kick. So I've been reading shamanic books from um, Eastern Europe, um, but primarily in Mesoamerica. Okay. And it's and it's ironic because I'm also a big student of Western psychology. I mean, I think Carl Jung was, dude, I think that guy was hundreds of years ahead of his time. Um, but obviously he talks about it in archetypes and all that. And right. that's what he's known for. But to me, there's massive parallels to like what you know Jung talks about and what a shaman in Peru or Mexico would tell me as well. Hmm. Um, I have found it very empowering, Frank, because if I'm honest, even when I've made lousy decisions, I've made them. I've chosen to bring those elements into my life, but the only leeway I give myself is I made the decision I made under the circumstances of that moment. So I could have had a bunch of faulty information, but that's all I knew, mm. right? But what really encourages me is I, I personally feel that we are our own answer. Are you going to organically come up with ideas and be enlightened like the Buddha or Christ or Krishna or Babaji or you know any name you want to attach to it. I don't think so. I think one thing we have learned from real luminaries, man, is that there's always the teacher-student relationship. So I I think that's why I innately, you know, I'm always on this personal development kick because like let's say I read a great book by Frank. Well, who were the influences of Frank's book? Mm. Okay, maybe, you know, the the great Christian Gnostic Daskalos was a 
was a citation of Frank's. Okay, well, what does Doskalos think? So then I'll go look for a book by Doskalos and I start reading it. And what's been, I guess, just the most positive is, is I see that by looking at myself for my own answers, it has allowed me to empower myself because mm-hmm. I was raised in a home that was, my grandmother was hardcore Catholic, church, the whole nine yards, you know, and I just took the deep dive, man. I didn't question it. I didn't anything. I was like, okay, that's the answer. But now as a student, and I always try to see myself as a student, I've learned so much. And now I see kind of the church for what it is, you know, and I won't even get into that conversation, but even they don't have all the answers. And, you know, for example, the, our father that I mentioned, what most people don't understand is that's an Egyptian prayer to the netters, but the Catholics literally took the, our father and applied it to Christ and made it their thing. Hmm. So now they call it our prayer. But that prayer was probably about 4,000 years before the time of Christ. Sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and it's, it's things like that, but I, I understand, I, I understand both sides of that coin that you're describing because it is a very scary prospect to say i am the end and i am the beginning right because you're almost like you're super self-empowering yourself and giving yourself the ultimate type of self-love and acceptance but it's but it's like the buck stops with you so if you if you knew better you do better but if you know better then you better do better or else that's correct yeah okay okay yeah that's correct absolutely there's there's been many instances where like, like, you know, I, I grew up in South San Diego in the projects and I went into boxing since I was very little and martial arts since I was very little. And so throwing hands for me was a way of life for many, many years when I was little, Yeah, you know, just recently I had a problem with some guy, man, in 30 seconds, I transform into a 15 year old Mitch. Mm. And I was like, I'm going to pummel this guy. And then at that instance, I was like, hold on. If you pummel this guy, you're going to get taken to jail, man. And it's probably going to be a felony. And is it even worth it? And who is going to suffer most because of it? My children. Yep. And right there, Frank, I was like, Zip. and I Mr. miyagi did, bro. I yeah. was like, no. I was like, you know what? Like I always tell my kids, if violence finds you, you respond with sword and shield and helm. But if you can avoid it, you absolutely do that. And, and the reason I share that with you, Frank, is because, dude, I wanted to just destroy this human being. <laughs> but because I was in my enlightened thing, I could hear my, whatever you want to call it, my conscience or my intuition. It's like, you're going to ruin everything. Yeah, You're going to ruin everything. All your progress, everything you've learned you're going to destroy it. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, but I think I came to that conclusion because I was taking radical accountability and responsibility of everything I think, everything I say, everything I feel, everything I do, because it starts and ends with me. Mm. Because the moment I give the authority to something or I become codependent on some ideas or another human being. It's like I'm disempowering myself. I'm, 
I'm losing my sovereignty, mm. you know? And, and in reality, what I try to teach my children and they laugh at me now when they're teenagers, but I'm sure when they're your age, they're going to be like, dude, my old man was gold is, <laughs> is you have to act like you are Frank Huerta LLC in mind, body, and spirit and everything you do in your life, the way you invest your time, the way you invest your energy, the way you invest your love, there has to be a return on that. But first and foremost, you always honor yourself, but you are the most important thing. You are, you're your own LLC, man. So you have to treat yourself like you would a real successful business. Here, it's, here. Not, it's not anything to be Frank Huerta. It's everything. Mm. Wow. That's great, man. That's great. Uh, we are up against an hour. So I think that's an excellent place to cut it off, but this has been awesome. Really, really enjoyed talking with you today, Mitch. I really yeah. appreciate your time. Uh, I know you're yeah, busy. Anytime, man. Like whenever you need anything. And, yeah. and you're going to, and I just want you to have compassion for yourself, Frank, have some empathy for yourself, your significant other, you know, there's no manual. You're going to get like a hundred bajillion suggestions. And then you guys will end up fighting over the type of bottle at babies are us. It's, <laughs> it's ridiculous moments like that. Yeah. But just remember, you're not being graded. You know, there's no parental overload in the sky that says, oh, my God, Frank is not going with, you know, what do they call that? Pro-environment type products, green <laughs> products. He's buying plastic. I'm going to kill that guy. No, no, no. It's um, it's just, you know, I want you to keep that in your heart because you'll be really hurtful to yourself. You'll be yeah. really mean to yourself. And, you know, and dude, on your voyage, I got your back, bro, like always so. Even if it's at 12 at night and you're like, I'm going to strangle this human being, dude, call me because I've been there. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I appreciate it as always. uh, You're a good man and uh, you've always been a help for me. So I I appreciate, uh, appreciate those words of wisdom and we'll definitely have you back on again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, this was great. And and I think the uh, Al would be, would love to be on this and talk with you. I'm sure once he listens to this, he'll be upset that he missed it. Uh, yeah, he's, he's knocking back beers in Germany. So I don't know how upset he'll no, be. And if, and later, if you want, I'll be more than happy to you to share like my experiences in, in Latin America and those shamanic experiences and those plant medicine experiences, um, that you see are becoming popular now. Um, you know, I've done plenty of those and I'd be more than happy to share that with you because it's, um, you know, it's, it's the way that people in our land would heal from emotional trauma, but a natural way with, um, with plants from the earth, you know, that create DMT like our bodies do. Right. And so yeah, guided, you know, guided, which I think is huge. Uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I think it, as much uh, of that information as we can get out into the world, I think would be great because, uh, you know, as you know, as most of us know that, that that's, uh, kind of poo pooed in, in America on a, on a grander scale, right. Those, those type of experiences are kind of shunned and shamed and, um, not dealt with, with 
with almost any reverence until very recently. So I'm, I'm, no. I would love. And to you know, what's amazing, Frank is um, right now, some of the biggest test, excuse me, testing that's going on in our country with huge universities like MIT, NYU, Stanford is treating post-traumatic stress syndrome like that's with psilocybin and plant medicine mm-hmm. therapy. So, you know, if that's the way it was used for thousands of years, right? Why would it not work now? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So absolutely, man, whatever you need, I got you. All right, brother. I appreciate you. We'll uh, we'll definitely have you guys on soon.